Well, we're continuing in our series, Human, this morning by hearing from uh, one of our church members. Charles Ryu is going to come in just a few minutes to share his incredible story of how he escaped from North Korea. Not once, but twice he escaped from North Korea. But before he comes, I want to provide just a little context as to why I asked him to share his story as part of our Human series, which will necessitate me providing a brief summary of what we covered so far in this series. So very briefly, this series is all about what it means to be human. Uh, most people today believe that human beings are merely highly evolved animals. But the Bible tells us that, yes, while our physical bodies are made of the same stuff animals are made of, we are more than just physical bodies. We are unique in that only human beings were made in the image and likeness of our creator, God. Only human beings were created in the Imago Dei. Uh, what this means is that human beings have been endowed with unique and special attributes and characteristics that none of the, none of the other animals possess. It means that part of our makeup is, is not just natural, but is supernatural. You are a supernatural being wrapped in or clothed in a natural body, which means also that you are of immeasurably greater value than, than a mere animal. And all this is extremely important because it profoundly impacts how we see ourselves, how we see other people, and more than that, how we treat other people. There have been times in history and even today in certain places and situations where people literally treat other people worse than animals. And it shouldn't be surprising because when you exclude God and deny the Imago Dei, all that you have left is an animal self. Then suddenly things like intrinsic human value and the inherent worth and dignity of human beings, it becomes very difficult to explain. If there is no God, it would seem completely rational that human beings have no more intrinsic value than any other animals. Some argue maybe even less value because of our tendency to use our unique and powerful creative abilities in, in very destructive ways. Sometimes entire societies, even civilizations, defend, uh, descend into this kind of moral and spiritual blindness with catastrophic results. And yet, yet something inside of every one of us knows better. We intuitively know that we were made for more. We are not mere animals, but beings that crave purpose and meaning and connection with something higher. We, we are spiritual beings who have been hardwired for hope, which is what we talked about last week. To, to be human is to hope. When we lose hope, something inside of us dies. But our Heavenly Father, our Creator God, is the God of hope. In fact, a member of Jesus' inner circle, Matthew the tax collector, in observing Jesus' life and ministry, he would remember a quote uh, from the prophet Isaiah who wrote about Jesus' comings coming hundreds of years earlier. Matthew would include this quote in his account of the life and teachings of Jesus. It's this verse right here. In his name, the nations will put their hope. In his name, the name of Jesus, the nations, 
plural, will put their hope. You're about to hear the story of someone who was in about as hopeless a situation as one could find themselves in. But somehow he escaped that situation so that he is here with us today as, as, as a part of our church, gladly serving on a regular basis in the Hope Movers ministry, a participating member in one of our small groups with his wife, Maddie. And he's just a wonderful, they're both just a wonderful couple. He is just an extraordinary, amazing young man. Today he's going to share with us part of his life story. So let's welcome Charles Ryu. Uh, thank you, Pastor Jim, for that uh, wonderful introduction. Uh, I'm grateful to be here and to share my story. I'm very excited to share my story, not just because I get to brag about how cool I am, but also at the same time, I get to share the life story of a North Korean people. And most importantly, I get to share um, God's miracle, um, yeah, his story. His, his promise that at the end of all the struggles and challenges that I faced, there will be Okay. <laughs> there will be a other side. So I hope that uh, through my story, um, you will get an assurance of God's promise that he will come through with his promises. I was born in North Korea to a, a Chinese father and North Korean mother. But when I was five, my father abandoned me and my mom and left to China, and he never returned. I lost my mother six years later from starvation. From then on, I had to figure out how to live alone, begging for food from the strangers on the street and battling starvation and freezing winter weather. I ended up living with my aunt about a year until my father sent my half-brother to take me into China. So I lived with my half-brother about another two years, and finally he helped me to escape North Korea. So he had arranged a smuggler, and the smuggler had paid off the, the border security guard and told me that when you go to the river that divides North Korea and China, just pretend that you're taking a bath, and when nobody looks, just go right ahead, and your dad will be on the other side uh, waiting for me with a taxi cab. So um, I walked into the river that divides North Korea and China, and I pretended that I was taking a bath. And when nobody looked, I swam across, and sure enough, my dad was on the other side uh, with a taxi cab waiting for me. And uh, we just drove right off uh, to his house. And life in China was so much better because I still remember thinking that there would be no more begging for a place to sleep overnight or even begging for food. One day, a, a friend of my father's, whom claimed to be a pastor, came to my house and he taught me about Jesus. He gave me a little Bible uh, that had Gospel of Matthew. And at the time, I didn't really know what Christianity was, and I didn't really grasp, I couldn't really grasp the concept of Christianity. 
However, I still read the Bible because whenever the pastor came back to my house, he would give me a snack and a little bit of money according to the, the how many pages I've read. So I guess in a way, the pastor bribed me into the kingdom. Yet, my fate was about to be tested because the Chinese government didn't recognize North Koreans as refugees and they arrested me and they deported me back to North Korea. And I remember they, I lost all hope. I was in the back of a Chinese police truck chained to a couple of the North Korean refugees. We turned a corner and I could see the North Korean border in the distance. For two weeks, I have been kept in a Chinese jail waiting to be sent back to North Korea. I was terrified of being punished for leaving my country. And I was, I was so sure that I would be in big trouble as soon as I step back into North Korea. The truck rolled a stop at the border and the North Korean security guards were screaming at us to get off. The North Korean secret police wanted me to confess that I was trying to defect to South Korea, but the truth was I went to China to find my father. I had no desire to defect to South Korea and I begged him to understand. I didn't confess and after beating me for hours and interrog interrogating me for days, they sent me to a detention center. I was told that I would only be there for a couple of weeks because I was so young. I was only 15. Most American 15 years old are sophomore in high school. Their lives are full of hanging out with their friends, taking driver's ed classes, and going to sports practices. At 15, I was in a detention center working up to 12 hours every day. For the first few weeks, I'd worked really hard because I didn't want it to get beat up. And months passed and I was not released. In the detention center, I was only allowed to eat 150 kernels of corn per day. I soon began to lose weight, and I could see my ribcage. One morning, we were marching in our rows to our work site, and I saw a dry vomit on the road. I was so hungry that I got on my hands and knees and began picking the rice out of the vomit. I didn't stop eating the vomited rice until the beating from the guards were too unbearable. At night, the guards would storm into our cells and force us to recite the rules of the camp. There were many rules and you had to memorize them. If you misquoted even one of them, they would force you to stand all night reciting the rules until work began the next morning. It was on one of those sleepless nights that I vowed I would not die here and I would escape North Korea again. Eight months later, 
I was finally released because I couldn't even stand up or even lift my arm. I had lost so much weight that I was a worthless worker, and they sent me back to my half-brother's house. I spent many months trying to regain my strength, but without any money, there was no way of supporting myself. So I soon began working in a coal mine where I was paid only in rice. Six days a week, I would enter the cold and damp tunnels of the mine. The most of other boys that working in the coal mine were my age. We would push a thousand pound steel coal cart miles into the mountain. Then we'll crawl down the smaller tunnels with empty sacks and only return once they're full. Working in the coal mine was very dangerous. Cave-ins were common, and I saw other boys lose their arms and legs as the accidents occurred. I worked in the coal mine about a year until I finally realized that it was my time to try to escape North Korea again. And I knew how hard escaping North Korea would be without any money or food. And I knew that if I was caught, I could be killed. But those risks outweighed working in the dark coal mine every day until it was my time to lose a limb or die. So one morning, I stole five flashlights. And instead of entering the mine, I walked off the path and began running. I sold those flashlights at a market, and I used that money to buy food. I spent the next three months hiding from the police and waiting for my opportunity to travel to the border town. But in North Korea, there are no freedom of travel. There are checkpoints on all major roads, and it would have been impossible for me to board a train because I didn't have enough money or even proper document. On a humid day in August, I was lying down on a hillside. And in the distance, I saw a train come to stop, and people were exiting out of the train cars. I approached, and I realized that the train was going to the border town. And as the passengers boarded again, I joined the line. The guard would ask for my papers and documents, and I lied that my mother had them and that she was already on the train. And the guard nodded, and I headed straight for the train bathroom to hide. For the next two days, I hid on the train. Sometimes I would have to climb out of the window and hide on the roof of the train, or sit on the hitch between the two cars to avoid the guards. And if I was caught, I would most likely to be handed over to the police and end up in a labor camp. I was halfway through the border town when the hand of a guard grabbed the back of my neck, and dragged me to a holding cell on the train. 
There were two older boys in the room who had been caught too. As the guard locked the doors to the cell, he told us that we would be handed over to the police at the next stop. I thought about how terrible the detention center had been. The long days of manual labor and sleepless nights that I spent memorizing the rules and the constant feelings of hunger. I refuse to let that happen again. As the train began to slow down for the next stop, I began panicking. In the midst of panicking, I saw a window was unlocked, so I pushed it open. I squeezed out of the small opening, and I jumped off the moving train and rolled into a ditch. I walked for hours, illegally boarded a second train, and two days later, I finally made it to the border town. I walked into the river that divides North Korea and China and hid in the tall grass for many hours, waiting for the darkness. And when I finally thought it was safe, I quietly waded into the water. And in the middle of the river, I slipped on a rock and I let out a gasp. And immediately, a flood of flashlight was on my back and I heard a guard screaming at me. He said that he would shoot me if I didn't turn back. I knew I was dead either way. Either he would shoot me, or I would obey and return to the shore, only to be shipped off to labor camp. I was not going to turn back, and I kept waiting ahead. The guard kept screaming at me, but he never pulled the trigger. Each step took me further away from North Korea and closer to dream of my freedom. Five minutes later, I was dripping wet, but finally back in China. I walked in China for three days without any water or food. I was exhausted, and I was hungry, and I was dehydrated. And at the end of the three days, my shoe fell apart, and my feet was bleeding. And finally, I collapsed. And all of these regrets were just f like flooding into me. And I started blaming my parents for bring, bringing me this, to this world and having me go through this struggle. And eventually, I remembered that I needed to pray. So I began praying to God, and I prayed that if God were to save me, and I'll do everything and anything. A moment passed, and my prayer was answered. A Chinese gentleman drove a motorcycle, and he stopped. He stops, and he looks at me, and he's, he says, are you from, he, he says, where are you from? And I spoke broken, I still speak, speak broken Chinese, and I couldn't understand what he was saying. He's like, where are you from? So I said, I'm from North Korea, and I'm looking for my father. 
And he took me to his house, and he gave me a medication. He fed me. He gave me a clothes. He gave me shoes. And next morning, he helped me to make a connection with a South Korean pastor who eventually helped me to come to Southeast Asia, where I was processed to come to the United States. I remember looking out the window as the plane began to land in California. I've never dreamed of being on a plane or even coming to America. And as I stepped off the plane, I felt these strange feelings that I've never known before. Grace, God's grace. And I felt really safe and I didn't need to hide anymore. I came, I came to America about 10 years ago, and in that time, I worked at many different jobs, like Panda Express, Subway, sushi restaurant, Starbucks, Uber driver, Lyft driver, and a driving instructor. And finally, I work at Westmont College as a mobile, mobile web application and CMS developer. And most importantly, I got married in that 10 years to love of my life, Maddie Collins Ryu. I'm very thankful to have her, and I'm grateful that she is with me. And my families are here too, so I'm very grateful. My biggest uh, accomplishment is yet to come, which is knowing God and getting closer to God. Thank you. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, you're more than welcome to ask me at the end. Yeah. Let's uh, let's put that verse, the next verse, up on the screen, can we? This is Psalm one thirty-eight, verse eight. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. Your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon me, for you made me. Charla, I think that might, where did you go? Is he, is he back? I think that might be your life verse right there. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. Your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon me, for you made me. I think so. Now, not, not many of us have ever had to face what Charles had to face. But we all face our own situations and circumstances that at times seem absolutely hopeless. This verse is a verse we can all carry with us in such times. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. Your faithful love O oh Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon me, for you made me. See, God has plans for you. They probably are not the same plans that you have for you. <laughs> In fact, I can almost guarantee they're not. But I can guarantee that if you follow God and seek his plans for your life, and not your own plans, 
in the end, you will find that God's plans for you were far, far better than your own plans for yourself. And, and this is the hope that we have. This is the hope that fuels us and keeps us going when we get discouraged, when we get depressed, when we find it hard to see the point of even going on, when you just want to give up and, and check out and, and, and throw in the towel. We have to remind ourselves regularly that God still has a purpose for my life. When your plans are frustrated, He's working out His plans. I just need to believe that and keep going and stay hopeful, be, being willing to lay my plans on the altar so that His plans can come to fruition because He's taken me somewhere and, and He's doing something and he's making me into someone. This is what it means to be a human. So thank you, Charles, for, for sharing your story, a story very much in progress. And I think it's obvious to all of us here, and I'm sure to you as well, that God has still remarkable things for, for your life to produce. So, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for, uh, for Charles and Maddie and for saving him, rescuing him, and, and bringing him to this country and giving him a hope and a future. And Lord, we pray your blessing on him and that his voice, God, would be a, a source of encouragement and strength and hope for many, many other people. And Lord, we, we believe you when you say that you will work out your plans for our lives. We believe you. Help us to have faith in that. Put our trust and confidence in that, even when things seem difficult, even when they may seem hope, hopeless, Lord. Your faithful love, O oh Lord, endures forever. In Jesus' name.